Good morning and happy Father's Day. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Marlene Petro and I'll be overseeing Day of Hope this year. Let us now prepare our hearts for worship as we bow our heads for the prayer of invocation. We sing praises to you, O God, for you have been gracious to us amid the storm of life. We do battle with many enemies within and among us, but you give us confidence and courage to face them. Out of the whirlwind, you answer when we call. We have gathered to listen for the voice we sometimes cannot hear in the daily clamor of our lives. Help us to discard the excess baggage and unnecessary armor that keeps us from the fullness of life you intend for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let us praise God through our worship.
Please stand for the responsive call to worship. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. He will faint and be weary. And they will fall. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run up and not be weary. They shall walk. Let us worship God.
All of us have faltered. Life storms overwhelm us, and fear takes over everything. We forget the greatest source of help and hope. In these moments together, we lay aside our doubts and fear of judgment to open our lives to God. Let us pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God has listened to us. In, in spite of all we have done or not done, God accepts us. This is a day of salvation when brokenness is mended, problems are seen in a new light, and fierce winds are stilled. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. God's affection for us is limited only by our failure to respond. Accept the gift of God's love, for it is everything we need. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Let us say what we believe by joining our voices in reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He died to death. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we exchange God's peace with each other, respecting one another's comfort in our sharing of the peace. Peace be with you.
Good morning. We are so glad to have you here on this, of course, the most important day of the year. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. And uh, let's give a round of applause to all those fathers in our midst. Yay. All right. Wonderful. We hope that you're able to enjoy this day and celebrate it and be celebrated by those you love and those who love you. We're in our second day of singing and your voices are coming forward. This is very good. Yes, I know you've been practicing and we're glad that we can be back together again in song and we are grateful to see even more uh, faces, uh, familiar faces showing up again. So we're grateful for uh, God's grace in our midst. We invite you afterwards for a little fellowship and assuming that the gray clouds don't produce any rain, we'd love to have you come out underneath the tree for some conversation and a chance to get reconnected uh, with those that perhaps you haven't seen for quite a while. We uh, look forward to next Sunday, June the 27th, our student ministry is sponsoring Worship Under the Stars, and that will be out behind our uh, Palm Center. So we would love for you, if you have grandchildren or children that are in uh, uh, student ministry age, middle school and high school, to invite them to come and join us for that. It will be a great opportunity uh, for them to engage over this summer. We, uh, we uh, just obviously heard this week that we have a new federal holiday, Juneteenth, which was yesterday, celebrated on Friday. We didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for that, but we do have more time to prepare for the July 4th celebration, which is actually on a Sunday. So uh, we want you to go into your closets and find your best red, white, and blue and wear that on Sunday, July the 4th. And we're gonna have a little celebration out there with some red, white, and blue pastries and stuff. So we'd love to have you come and join us for that. And that will be a wonderful day. What a great opportunity for, the, for July 4th and Sunday to come together and for us to give thanks to God for our, uh, our nation. We do not give thanks to the fact, for the fact that Jenny Kim Godfrey is finishing her time with us, at least for a while, maybe not forever, uh, but she's going back to her normal life. Think about that. Heading out onto the cruise lines and leading your singing, so give her a round of applause. Jenny, you've been a real lifeline for us over the course of this past year plus, and we thank you for your beautiful, beautiful gift of music, and we look forward to having you return to us from time to time as we continue to praise God together. So as I said, it's Father's Day, and we have a little video from our preschool to sort of uh, get us grounded in that uh, beautiful day of celebration. So let's run the videotape. Four. 14, 37, 27, 25, 50, um, 10. Cook. He goes like to the park and runs around like on the cement. Like when he actually comes. Do a black loop. Peanut butter and jelly. Needles. Creamy needles. 
protect us. So he can be a wonderful man. Sing home. 
This morning we are taking the opportunity to rededicate our memorial chapel. As most of you know, through the generosity and vision of the Geyer and Jackson families, we've been able to renovate this original building of our campus to allow for a variety of worship and discipleship experiences. Just about everything inside the building is new, including lovely hardwood floors and carpet and furniture. The transformation of the space allows for the faceted stained glass windows to shine their brilliance even more. And we're in the process of adding chancel pieces which will further enhance the worship space. Many of you have already been over to the chapel, but if you haven't, we encourage you to do so or any time over the summer. Perhaps we can take a moment to thank the Geyers and the Jacksons for their gracious gift. Will you please join me in the litany of rededication as found in your bulletin. For the worship of God through breaking bread and breaking open the word, for the worship of God through gathering the beloved community and pouring the baptismal waters, for nurturing children and parents, for their inspiration and protection, for encouraging young people to wrestle with truth and calling them to a life of justice and mercy. For the reverent silence into which your still speaking voice emerges and for our voices woven together in a tapestry of prayer and song. For your light that shines in the world and for the spectrum of light that tells your story of good news. For building up the beloved community, one family, no insiders or outsiders, each person's gifts recognized, affirmed, and nurtured. For comfort to those who mourn and refuge to those blown by the storms, for guidance to those who are lost and sustenance to those who thirst, for all people who seek a soft place to land, a place of welcome, a home. for the continued unfolding of your vision, for the continued heartbeat of your mystery, for our continued turning toward you. Let us pray. O oh God, we bring to mind the words of the psalmist when he wrote, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Since the beginning of time, your people have sought those places where they might give thanks and worship you, the author of every good and perfect gift. They have raised their Ebenezers, they have constructed their altars, they have erected their tabernacles, they have built their temples, and they have adorned their sanctuaries. We rejoice today in this moment of our church's life when we rededicate this sacred chapel to the glory of God and for the use of generations to come. We thank you for those who have given time, talent, and treasure to recreate this holy space wherein people of all walks of life may enter and dwell within your presence. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, writes the psalmist, and may it always be our joy to welcome all who seek the Lord where he may be found and call upon him while he is near. 
We praise you on this Father's Day for the men in our lives who showed us how to live, how grateful we are for these mentors and guides who from their experience and learning revealed to us the way, the truth, and the life. We pray for all the dads of this world who have taken on the joy and burden of raising children, providing for family, teaching right from wrong, and loving unconditionally. Give all the men of our lives the grace and wisdom they need to carry out the high calling. On this important weekend for our country, when leaders of all parties, when people of all color, when children of all ages united to set aside a day for our nation to remember the official and final end of slavery, we pray that this might be another step in the never-ending quest for liberty and justice for all. May it be time for us to rededicate ourselves to the proposition that all men and women are created equal. And may it be our desire this day, O oh God, to rededicate our lives in all things, worship, family, justice, love, and mercy. May we be the ambassadors of the good news, the vessel of your Holy Spirit, that what we commit ourselves to within these walls may reverberate beyond them through who we are and what we say and what we do through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, our offerings support the ministry of our church as we reach out together to announce the better way God intends for all of us. In our giving, we extend a welcome, we practice hospitality, we offer healing, and we share the peace of God. Now, as we give thanks to God with our tithes and our offerings, there are a number of ways in which you can contribute. You may drop your offering in the baskets as you arrive or as you leave, and of course, you can give online. During the doxology, the ushers will bring the baskets forward to represent our collective offering. May our offerings honor the one who gives us all we have.
We invite you to remain standing after the prayer of dedication for the hymn that follows. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, with gratitude for your gracious favor, we dedicate these gifts. May they help others as we have been helped. May they reach out in a spirit of gentleness to restore to community those who are alienated. May they announce to the world that the realm of God is among us, waiting to be claimed. By these resources, may your name be praised. Amen. be seated. Today we move to our third window in our Windows on the Word series featuring the beautiful faceted stained glass windows in the just rededicated Memorial Chapel. The window which you will see on the cover of your bulletin depicts Jesus washing the feet of the disciples actually just one disciple, the disciple Peter. It's called the service window, and it shows Jesus attempting to wash the feet of Peter, but as you can see, Peter has his hands outstretched as if to do his best to resist this washing out of a sense perhaps of humility, believing himself unworthy to have his feet washed by the master. Up above at the top of the window is a basin of water with a towel as the symbols of service. 
So let's listen to this story as told by John, the gospel writer, John from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 20, and then some verses from Matthew's gospel. Hear the word of God. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for this is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, and you are, you are blessed if you do them, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But it is to fulfill the scripture, the one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly, I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And then these words from Matthew chapter 27. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it to yourselves. And the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, for we pray this in his name, amen. Wendell Berry, in his short story, Pray Without Ceasing, tells the story of two friends who lived in a small Kentucky town back at the beginning of last century, two old farmers, Ben Felter and Thad Coulter, it was one of these small towns where everybody knew everybody and friendships ran deep. Ben and Thad had been the best of friends for a long time. 
Tragedy, however, descended upon the two men when Thad had run into financial problems. He had gone into a risky business venture with his irresponsible son and had put up his farm as collateral. The whole thing went belly up, and Thad, realizing he might lose his farm, took first to the bottle and then went to his friend, Ben, to, for help to save his farm. Not wanting to talk business with his quite inebriated friend, Ben told Thad to go home, sleep it off, and come back in the morning. But with his inability to think straight, Ben, Thad, went back to home, drank some more, and returned to his friend, this time with a gun, and in a moment of temporary insanity, shot and killed him. The rest of the story is a beautiful tale of grief, shock, and also grace and forgiveness extended by the victim's family and the community to a man who had for a brief moment lost his mind. Unable, however, to accept the grace, old Thad took his own life. At one point, the wise old matriarch of the family says this, People sometimes talk of God's love as if it's a pleasant thing, but it is terrible in a way. Think of all it includes. It included Thad Coulter, drunk, mean, and foolish before he killed Mr. Feltner, and it included him afterwards. It even includes people who cannot bear it. When I first read that line, I had to read it over again, so I'm going to do the same for you. People sometimes talk of God's love as if it's a pleasant thing, but it is terrible in a way. Think of all it includes. It included Thad Coulter, drunk and mean and foolish before he killed Mr. Feltner, and it included him afterwards. It even includes people who cannot bear it. It's this line that came to mind when I was thinking of the story of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. John fills the story with a great measure of foreboding. Jesus understands what's happening. The shadow of the cross is lengthening upon him. The hour of his departure is drawing nigh. The devil has already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. Peter is soon to fail at his opportunity to love and defend his master. The disciples will soon fall away. John tells us that in this moment, however, the Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. And so with all things in his hands, Jesus fills a basin of water, wraps a towel around his waist, bends on his knees, and begins washing the dusty, stinky feet of the disciples. Now, of course, this is not something Jesus has to do. First of all, this is not the first whoosh for Likely, this is not the first foot washing of the night. Likely, earlier, when the whole lot of them entered the room, a servant has already ceremoniously washed their feet, as, as would have been the custom. So this is something that Jesus doesn't have to do on that count. And on another count, Jesus knows this gang. He knows that they're going to be faithless friends. He knows they're not going to come through. He knows one will double-cross, another will deny, and one and more will just run away. He just doesn't have to do this. 
because they don't deserve it. But the love of God is a terrible thing. It includes even the undeserving, even these faithless, disappointing friends. Even before the betrayal and afterward. So good for Peter, we think. Good for him to put out his hand and say, no, good for him. At least he's the one who understands this terrible love of God that insists on derobing and getting down on his knees and plunging hands into water and bathing the feet of even them, of even him. Peter sees the incongruity. Peter sees what little sense this makes. Peter knows what, that the role should be reversed. No way, Jesus, you're never going to wash my feet. You'll never come this close. You will never touch this part of me. But the love of God is a terrible thing. It chooses to come this close. It chooses those places we wish not to be touched. It forgives even that for which we cannot forgive ourselves. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Unless I wash you, I'm really not connected to you. Unless I wash you, I really don't understand you. Unless I wash you, I cannot know you. Unless I hold the feet of the one who will soon walk over me, I really can't show how much I love you, how terribly I love you. Good for Peter to see what's happening, that there's this bigger picture, this rabbi who, who, who sheds his robe and dons his towel. It, it is this son of the Most High who has before shed the robes of glory and descended to Bethlehem's manger and to the dusty trails of Palestine and to the wilderness taunts of the devil and to the stupid questions of the disciples and to the endless arguments with the know-it-all Pharisees. You know, I really don't have to do this, Jesus says. I really don't. Stay up in my heavens. I can, I can keep my purple robe. I can, I can keep my feet and hands clean of all of you. I don't really have to bother. But bother I do. Because to not bother is to mean that we have no part in each other. And this will not do. God will not do without having part in us. This is the terrible love of God who will go to any length to be a part of us. Who will go to any length for us to have a part in him. Which, of course, makes the next day such a silly day. Oh, it's a serious day. It's Good Friday. But in another sense, it is a silly, ironic day with Pilate thinking that he has all things in his hands. Pilate thinking that destiny is his to enforce. Pilate standing before the Galilean rabbi reaches for his own basin of water, donning his Roman robes and seals, plunges his hands into his own basin and washes his own hands, washes his hands of Jesus. I wash my hands of you. I am not connected to you. I am not responsible for you. You have no part in me. You are on your own. Such the juxtaposition, the terrible love of God one night 
and the terrible justice of humanity the next day. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me, says the Son of the Most High, kneeling with his basin and towel at our faithless, fickle feet. And if we were honest with ourselves, we'd much rather be Pilate. Let's be honest, we have been Pilate. Standing in our halls of judgment, looking askance at all those whose behavior or opinions or attitudes or politics or betrayals or denials or slights or injustices have, have gotten underneath our skin and we plunge our hands into lukewarm waters of self-righteousness and we wash our hands, we wash our hands of all that we might fear that would contaminate us. We wash our hands of people close and far and people who do not, we do not know, and people we think we know too well. And it's all so silly. We see the Savior at our feet. We see him touching all the infectious parts of our lives, and we see how silly we seem in our halls of judgment, washing our hands. We see how terrible God's love is, and it's terrible because we know it is a love into which we are invited to participate, to love the very people we know who are against us, the very people who appear infectious, the very people who do not share our values. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. You have no part in me. That's what God will not endure for us to have no part in him and for us to have no part in each other. Do you remember the cooties? The childhood infectious disease detected by no epidemiologist, but as real to children as the coronavirus. Do you remember the kid in your school who had the cooties? And you had to do whatever you could to stay away, not be touched. Some even washed their hands. It was Julie Johnson at Gordon Elementary. God forbid you got close to Julie Johnson. When she walked onto the playground, someone would start to yell, Johnson, Johnson. And we'd all start shouting, Johnson, Johnson. And Julie walked through the playground untouched and untalked to. Gordon Elementary's untouchable. Isn't that crazy? What we thought and what we did? But it's hard, isn't it, to give up childish ways? Because the cooties are still out there, aren't they? At least we act like they are. We have figured out imaginary reasons for why we might wash our hands of other people those people who have done us wrong or who have not done something we thought they should have done or who live different lives than we do. We rather them to have no part in us. But then there's this terrible love of God at our feet, taking our basin of judgment and with it washing our feet. 
Years ago, I remember reading the story of a Miami man who made it his mission to be a regular visitor to a Miami nursing home where he would visit an old ailing man named David McAllister. Mr. McAllister was a man without family or friends to visit him. No one had been to see him for a long time, but Chris Carrier, a 32-year-old man, had become his regular visitor. He found out David's favorite foods, and he would bring those along for each visit, including David's favorite food smoked amberjack. They talk about everything under the sun, including their hopes and regrets. And one regret Mr. McAllister had was that 20 years before, in order to get back at the man who owed him a lot of money, he committed an insane and heinous crime, abducted the man's son as he was walking home from school, attacked the boy, drove the wounded boy to the Everglades, and left him for dead. The boy survived but lost sight in one eye. For 20 years, the police were not able to solve the case until Mr. McAllister on his own confessed the crime as he weakened in his nursing home. When the police received the confession, they reached out to the victim, the man, the boy who would become a man, a 32-year-old man named Chris Carrier which explains the visits to the nursing home. Mr. Carrier said that he had prayed for a long time that he be given the chance to do something he had always hoped to do, sit before the very man who had altered his life and forgive him face to face, absolve him of his guilt, wash his feet, make him a part of himself, and love him to the end with the terrible love of God and every week a nice piece of smoked amberjack. Unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Do you remember the Mennonite church in Landisville, Pennsylvania years ago, this little tight-knit community of Jesus and how a 14-year-old son after church one Sunday afternoon took the life of his parents and sister? an event that shook the body of people, devastated the community. What's the church to do now in response? Well, they established a legal support committee to provide for the boy's needs so that his surviving brother and sister wouldn't have to. They founded a 70 times seven fund to collect money to cover the boy's expenses. They studied grief and forgiveness in sermons and in Bible studies. They held a service of lament for the ones they had lost and a service of forgiveness for the one who remained. Why? Why? Because the terrible love of God includes all. I'm not sure where the cooties are in your life, what untouchable person or group of people you're staying away from, what unforgivable sin you're holding judgment over, what people on whatever side of the issue who make your blood boil. Best, we say, to run to the other side of the playground, wash our hands of any infection they may carry, or to look down at the heavenly gown laid aside and the towel and basin and the one whose holy hands are managing your cracked and dusty feet. Oh, the terrible love of God includes you, includes me.
and includes even them. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.